Hello, Tune In listeners. You are listening to Tune In. It's radio for your mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Keela Parkinson, and we are talking, as we do every week, all about mindfulness. And we have talked about mindfulness in so many places throughout our lives. We've talked about it, you know, at the bank and the grocery and the day-to-day things. We've talked about the esoteric things. We've even had a near-death experience panel. And today we're going to dive even deeper into that other side with our wonderful guest, author Sandy Doyle. Sandy, welcome to Tune In. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're joining us. Thank you. Sorry. I'm so glad you're joining us. Uh, She's joining us from central Indiana. Is that correct? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, the Muncie area. And um, that's my old hometown. Hey, go Cardinals. And so (laughs) I also have to say um, that Sandy, in addition to being a published author, is the vice president of the Optimist Club, which we're going to have her back and hear all about what that goodness is, but she's the mother of seven, the grandmother of 19, and the author of this really, really interesting book called, ready, wait for it, the title is, My Life at the Cemetery, It's Not as Dead as You Think. (laughs) I just think that's, first of all, hilarious, right, and also so intriguing, and Sandy's background that led her to write this book is about working in funerals, working for funeral homes, obviously at the cemetery as well, and so many really interesting anecdotes that she's going to read some of to for us today and also share some really entertaining stories. But I just have to ask, like, other than people saying, like, oh my gosh, you've got to put this in a book, what else made you actually put it in a book? <laughs> uh, I guess, basically, I had been working at the cemetery for a couple, three weeks, and a couple things that happened uh, that I was just astounded at. And uh, one day I told uh, one of the girls that I worked with, I said, nobody would believe this. One of the days I'm going to write a book. Right. Nobody will believe that. So, and she would say, oh, you're crazy. And I'd say, I don't know, maybe it should be days of our life at the cemetery. Days of our lives and deaths. <laughs> Nobody would believe it. And the 12 years I worked there, I never knew what was coming through the door. Right. I mean, it might be, there was a couple of times I had to have the sheriff in. Ooh. Call the sheriff. There was a couple of times that uh, people were just very bitter and very hateful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then there were other times that most most of the time they were in a state of shock and just sure. didn't have it what to do, let alone who I was, and sometimes they didn't even remember being at the cemetery when I, you know, for days later when I would call, mm. they didn't even remember being there. Wow, yeah, that's quite a state of shock. So, you know, I think that for a lot of people who don't spend a lot of time God bless them, right? Having to go to funeral homes and all of this, <clears throat> then um, it's easy to think about that, you know, that role at the funeral home of just being like greeting the people when they come in, right? That quiet ushering that you do. And um, and that is, quote, funeral director work or whatever. But, you know, this is a sales position. This is a grief counseling job. This is also um, probably has a lot to do with finances for people and helping people figure out how and where they're going to pay. And I'm sure connecting them to resources, which is something I know that you helped to do because you have such a big heart for the people that you served. And then, like you said, then there's actually like the logistics too 
of the burial and all of that. So what story do you want to start us off with, Sandy? (laughs) (laughs) What story? I I guess basically the the first one that really got me to, uh, to write the book. And when I would tell people, they would be in such a shock that they would say, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. Her mouth was hanging open before she said, you're kidding me, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) The stunned face is part of the reaction. (laughs) No, I, 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 um, one of the first store, or first people that I waited on was a 49 year old gentleman that had passed away of a massive heart attack. Mm. And, um, he had, uh, his next of kin was a 16 year old daughter Mm. and a 21 year old son. Mm. And they came in with their mother, which was his ex-wife. And so we went through everything. And, and I always tried to make it a habit of calling a couple weeks after to make sure the family was okay. And if they needed grief counseling, or to send yeah. them, that kind of thing, or if they had any questions. And so I called the ex-wife a couple of weeks later. And she, in the conversation, told me she would like to have the space next to him to be buried okay she thought that would be important to have that space for her kids yeah so uh i wrote up the contract and had her come the next day and she paid for it and then about a week later i had this really young vibrant looking model looking (laughs) Oh, wow. So I sold her the space. On the other side? (laughs) Just underneath his feet. Her head would be in his feet. Okay, uh uh-huh. So about five days later, I had a gentleman come in. Okay. And he told me that they had been lovers for over 15 years. Oh, my goodness. And that he needed to be buried as close to him as he could get. Wow. So I sold him the space. to laugh about but also now I get the soap opera aspect right yeah (laughs) (laughs) so at the end of that story because this is a collection of oh I don't know there's probably 65 66 different events or little stories Mm -hmm. in the book and so I put at the end of that story wasn't it ironic that he was buried in the garden of love (laughs) (laughs) that's great and no wonder he had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He was just loving everybody. <laughs> just loving everybody. So, you know, oh, man. It was, it was different. And that's what I said. It, it was Yes, a service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, well, when you get into the book, you will see that it takes, 
I know that there's a lot of people out there that are into it for the money because mm-hmm. the hair industry is quite big. Sure. But uh, people, uh, a lot of people basically uh, were in it for the service mm-hmm. and um, what they could do to help. And you would have to have a heart of stone if you didn't realize that when you were you know, with some of the people that you uh, helped along the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, gosh, there, there are so many, like, which direction do we want to go next? Like, do I want to hear another anecdote or a story like that? Or do I want to hear something maybe heavier about serving people? Is there something like that that you can either share with us, as you just did, or read directly from the book? For us, and just for people who might just now be tuning in, <clears throat> the book again it's available on Amazon.com, on Barnes and on Barnes I believe, but also in bookstores, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, all the bookstores. Go to your library and see if you can find it. It is called My Life at the Cemetery. It's not as dead as you think by Sandy Doyle. Sandy is flipping through the pages to see if there's something she wants to read to us right now. There's probably a ton of <laughs> Uh, and the most frustrating yeah uh, we had a gentleman that had passed away and uh, he was fairly young but he was married uh, for his, he had been divorced for a couple of years and had remarried mm-hmm. and in the calling hours in the present life um, marched in and she said I am paying this bill, and I want my husband's ex-wife and her family out of here. Yeah. And if you don't get them out of here, I will call the sheriff because I am paying this bill. Yeah, you know what? I have actually been to funerals where there's been that kind of rift of, like, you weren't invited and you get out of here. And it always surprises me because I guess I thought paying respects is paying respects, but that's a common thing, isn't it, Sandy? Yeah. Yeah, and I, it confuses me because I, I think like, okay, it's in the paper. It's called open calling hours, right? There's a private time for the family. I don't think we get to control all of it. But also, when we're grieving, it's understandable how it's really a reactive time. So how do you handle that? How do you handle that? What did you do? And the funeral director pretty much took care of it. Um, he went and told the other family. Yeah. Come back. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting yeah. to me because I've always wondered, like, how do police handle that then, too? So <clears throat> I like the tact that the funeral director showed in that scenario of giving them still their grieving space, but then, you know, wrapping it up, right? That was very tactful. I, it, that's one of those things that I'm sure is part of the education that people go through to be, right, to work in mortuary services. Yeah, people do not realize what goes on. Yeah. For a funeral director, because they not only have to go to school, they have to know the body parts and all of yeah. that, just like the doctor. And they also have to be able to relate with people. Yeah. Uh, for one, 
and for number two, they got to do all kinds of cosmetology. Yes. The face, the makeup, and I'll give you an example, basically. Uh, When Amber came in to make her father's funeral arrangements, she was distraught beyond anything I had seen in my years of working in the death care field. Amber was an only child and the only living relative of the deceased. With her that day was her best friend, Suzanne, and her best friend's mother, June. All three were in a state of frozen shock. Amber would answer a question and break down and crying. As soon as her tears eased off just a little, she kept repeating, his face was gone. His whole face was gone. Mm. So that uh, the funeral director took an extra two days wow. to have the funeral. And what he did was he went through and by inch by inch he rebuilt that guy's face. Oh wow, wow. Because he had literally utterly shot his face off. Mm-hmm. So, um, people, when people have suicide, it's a mental illness. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have to believe that that is a mental illness in some form. Yes. And because people would not do that to a loved one. Would right. he ever, in his wildest imagination, believe that his daughter would find him? Right. You know? Oh, my. So, uh, <clears throat> mm. But that funeral director. It was amazing. He inched by inch. He put that face back together. That is really amazing. Yeah, the reconstructive um, aspect of that. And then, so here's a, like, um, business question about that, right? Um, Because I know a lot of people in a situation like that would just choose to have a closed casket, right? Um, But the fact that that's an option, then I have to ask, is that a line item? Is there an extra price point for that? I mean, if we're talking about the behind the scenes, that's one of those questions. It seems to be like this. No, I don't think so. No, you don't think so. Okay. Oh, now, so, right, because he could have, potentially, right? Yeah, but he chose to do that as a service. Okay, yeah. And his comment was that he, when she asked why and how he did it, he said, I did not want you to remember your father at a moment when he was so mentally ill. He was Mm. not responsible. I wanted you to remember him like this. What a beautiful gift. You know, that's true because it would have been her last vision of her father and she got to have a different vision. So what a beautiful end to that piece of that story. There, there are many, uh, many beautiful um, funeral directors out there. Mm. And there's many beautiful um, funeral homes there that they will do anything in the world for their clients. Yeah. You know, so, mm. um, it's just, uh, I think the funeral, director, the funeral homes have got, they get bad raps a lot. Sure. They don't have no clue what that funeral director goes through. Or what right. Person at the goes right. And how they're also people who are kind of 
also living some vicarious trauma. So I want to ask you more about that in just a second after I first take a station identification break and let our listeners know you're listening to Tune In Radio for Your Mind, Body, and Soul. I'm your host, Keila Parkinson, and our show broadcasts at WVLP 103.1 FM. We stream live around the world from WVLP.org, the Veil of Paradise, beautiful Valparaiso, Indiana, here as a suburb of Chicago, but also going out to you around the globe. You can also find our show in its podcast form for your on-demand listening pleasure at anchor.fm slash tune in mindful radio. Today we are talking to our guest, Sandy Doyle, about her awesome book, My Life at the Cemetery, It's Not as Dead as You Think. And we've heard a kind of a comedic story. We've heard a very uh, deep story that was like really tugging at our heartstrings. As you can imagine, there's a whole lot of all of this and more when you work in a funeral home and a cemetery. And so, um, Sandy, I, I want to just for a second before we get into some more of these really awesome stories, I'd like to just engage with you for a second and hear some more about, you know, what it's like whenever you are wanting to or whenever you are wanting to serve people in this way and you have this deep heart for service that you obviously have mother of seven grandmother of 19 right and and really serving people in this area and then also people in their grief at the moment kind of forget that you're a person too right you're just there providing a service and sometimes the recipient of I'm sure abuse and yelling and all kinds of things. So so t- if you'd like, you can share some stories about that. But I'm also really curious to hear how and what did you do and funeral directors that you admire do to to not take that so personally or to process it after it happens? There was a lot of, <clears throat> we worked pretty much three to four days a week depending on, you know, what the schedule was. Yeah. And our job basically was to make sure, like, if if there was a funeral coming in, and I was on that day, Mm -hmm. then I would go, I would leave the funeral uh, procession in to where either the the grounds or the chapel or whatever. And in doing that, you got to see a whole different side of the breathing. Mm. Uh, got to see people break down or people hurry and get out of there. And it was, um, and people lingered. There was people that just didn't want to leave, you know, at that time. Yeah. And of course, at the grounds crew ready to fill in and so I would stay part of my job was to stay with that casket until it was in the vault when the vault was sealed mm-hmm. so it was um, people unless you worked in a cemetery we have no clue right yeah <laughs> um, so I, I, what I what I'm kind of gleaning from what you're sharing is that in those moments, there was maybe a little more of a quiet reverence and you got more compassion and understanding for the other feelings. Yeah. Exactly. There were, there were tears. Sure. Um, I mean, you couldn't, we couldn't do the job sometimes without tears. And it's especially if you knew, um, we had a couple that I went to church with and their kids. Uh, had went to school with my 
That's interesting because we, uh, gosh, two seasons ago, I think we had um, Tina Jackson, who uh, is, uh, she goes by the the Reiki RN, I believe, and because she's an RN and a, and a Reiki master, and, and she talked about part of what got her into um, this kind of no-touch massage, you know, um, energetic healing service of Reiki uh, after being an RN was that she had worked in um, post-op recovery and being there when people are coming out of anesthesia and the same thing, like also having visions of what they've gone through or things that are there, right? That real affinity, being in that field of meaning, as we kind of like to call it sometimes, right? That's right there. That's very deep. That's, um, it's just uh, invisible and palpable at the same time, right? And so yeah. when you are yeah, in these care services, are- yeah. Go ahead. I mean, there's words to describe yeah. a lot of it, a lot of the right. things that happen. Yeah. Because the, the one thing that I learned when I was writing this book was that we are spiritual people yeah. having a human experience. I love that. That's one not. of my favorite <laughs> phrases. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the spirit doesn't die. Right. Okay. I love this so much. Yeah. I'm going to say it again for listeners who maybe didn't catch it. We are spiritual people having a human experience and the spirit doesn't die. Yeah. It lives on. Yeah. And so, um, but what I, I tell people was, and I had had it happen 
two or three times when people would say, do, do they come back and talk to you? Mm. Because somebody has come back, you know. And I would say, I don't know. I've heard that if they did, but I don't know. Uh-huh. But I remember my husband, it must have been about five or six months later, and all of a sudden, things happening on my shoulder. I love it. And I'm over to look at him. Yeah. Yeah. He's standing there in a black suit and white shirt and red tie. Wow. Now, we buried him in a white polo with black jeans. Okay. But he is standing there, and I thought, that is so true. Mm, you know, yeah. I believe that the spirit hovers over those that they love. That's really beautiful. <clears throat> I'm sorry for your husband's passing, and how long has it been? It's been eight years now. Okay. I'm very sorry for your loss. And that's a long time to live without your life partner. Oh, yeah, because we celebrate our 50th anniversary. But, you know, he was, he got very ill. Mm-hmm. He was golfing one day. Um, a week later, he was uh, in the hospital and all he could move with his left hand. Oh, wow. He had autoimmune disease uh-huh. called CIPP. Okay. And congratulations that's your first step yeah. toward your medical degree yeah exactly. yeah that one yeah right <laughs> oh my yeah and that sounds um quite debilitating especially it affected him so quickly yeah so um and this is one of those things where we, we talk about this right like the body the body is breaking down and then the spirit gets free of that body, I guess, right? And so I love that your experience, though, was, you know, that that familiar touch, first of all, and then him at his finest, right? That's really beautiful. Yeah. And, and I thought, I don't want, I don't want to talk to him right now. I don't want to <laughs> I've got other things I'm doing. Call me later. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So obviously anyway. your sense of humor is also a huge piece that helps you get through the business of helping the dying and the grieving, which makes a lot right. of sense. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I tell you that there's people that, that they would come in and they would, they would have a nonchalant, you know, uh, attitude, you know. One guy wanted to be very close to the highway because he wanted to be able to wave at people when he died. Okay. And, okay. <laughs> That's great. And, and another gentleman who wanted to be buried at the top of the mausoleum because that was as close to heaven as he was going to get. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, and then I... <laughs> One of the funniest things for me, a couple had no relatives whatsoever. And so they bought their marker, their memorial, and they come out and picked me up. And we went to the grave site, and they had like three different bouquets that they put in. And they laid down and wanted me to take the picture because they said they would never see it and nobody. Yeah. You know, huh. Interesting. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. 
That's so, yeah. You know, that that story about the guy wanting to be buried at the top of the mausoleum. I was like, was that my grandfather? Was that my papa? (laughs) Might have been. (laughs) We'll have to talk off. We'll have to talk offline about that. (laughs) Oh, surely not. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) But that sounds like something that that old guy would have said because he was he was pretty funny like that too. (laughs) So. Um, oh, you know, listeners, you're listening to Tune In. It's radio for your mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Keila Parkinson, on 103.1 WVLP. And we are underwritten in part by Kiki Productions, Inc. Communications Coaching, teaching exercises to help you cycle out of fight or flight in the moment. With a mission to create individual harmony to add peace to the world, Kiki Productions, Inc.'s philosophy is when you are confident, focused, and authentic with your message, you are a magnet to those you wish to attract. Find out how you can speak your truth with love, <clears throat> excuse me, at coachkiki.com. All right, so we are talking today to author and uh, comedian <laughs> and <laughs> storyteller and mother and grandmother and retiree, and, right? All this amazing stuff, right? Um, and, um, and former... Uh, not funeral director, what was your position at the mortuary? They call the cemetery counselors. Cemetery counselors. Oh, that's very well <laughs> poised right there. Yeah. I don't know if they meant anything, but that's what they call them. <laughs> Cemetery counselors. Well, you know, I have to say, having been to very many funerals, you know, I'm I'm actually from a small town outside of Muncie, you may have heard of called Yorktown. And so all my, you know, all my family, most of my family was there growing up. My, um, I believe, so my great, great, I think it's like fourth or fifth or sixth great <laughs> grandfather, what and, and his family were one of uh, somewhere between like four to 12 families that settled the town and started the town. Right. So, um, so obviously lots of people that we know are there. right? And so there was a huge era, I believe through maybe eighth grade, seventh grade through my freshman year of college that I went to two or three funerals every year of family members only. And so, um, so in that time, we saw it all, right? And we went through it all in a lot of ways. I mean, I, my gosh, my, I had a grandma who, my great grandma was in a coma for two months before she passed. She woke up on her 93rd birthday and was totally fine, was talking to everybody. And um, my dad had played a recording of her dogs barking and that's what made her go, hey, I want to come see my dogs. And my, uh, they were trying to sneak the dog in to see her or something, but she had a big golden retriever and that wasn't going to happen. And so they, I think they um, just played more recordings of the dog for her and she celebrated her birthday and she opened presents and it was amazing. And she went to sleep with every, cause she had had a stroke. And so she went to sleep with everything being fine and she died in her sleep peacefully. Right. And so those kinds of things, that was one example. And I had an uncle who was killed in a car accident. Um, I had a cousin later who overdosed. Um, I had um, an uncle who died of AIDS. Um, And then of course I had family members who um, died of cancer, lots and lots and lots of types of cancer. And I had a great grandfather who died of natural causes. And I was like, oh, what's killing him? And they were like, old age. And I was like, what? And they were like, he's lived his life. And I was like, wait, this is an option? Only one person that I know so far, right? And I was just like, oh, that's my goal. Like, you know, he didn't have any events. He just slowly started shutting down and passing away in his bed. And over the course of a couple of weeks, you know, and it wasn't a choice. He just was like, 
well, this is fine. <laughs> you know? And he had lived his life like that. He was just like, oh no, this is what I do. He was very, 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 very mellow. Just so mellow. Um, and so on all that time, I have to say that all those funerals, there was always someone you could count on standing quietly, usually in a dark suit jacket, right? Very quietly, nodding, touching my shoulder, helping me in my deepest moments of grief, coming right up, usually very so instinctively, just coming right up to guide me to a chair or water or something, or here's where the bathroom is. So, so, so beautiful. And, you know, my heart gets full even thinking about it. So being as a recipient there, where I don't know, maybe you also served my family many times, right? I just want to say thank you for that service. It it, it is a rough time because people people don't really understand if they are spiritual beings. Mm. That person is going to stay around them because love abounds and love never ends. Mm. And so that is the, and you've got in this day and age, love is important. Yes. You know, whether it is your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's the stranger on the street, it's giving them a smile. Because that might be the only thing that good that happened to them that day. And so it's the same working at the death care industry. Those people are going through a bunch. And it might be that one little pat on the shoulder or that one hug. You know, I had a, a lady that she had come in and she was basically very distraught. Um, her husband had died. They had signed the papers the day before to sell their house. And he was retiring and they were moving to Florida. And he just didn't wake up. Mm, oh, my. And, How sad. Yeah. yeah. And so then in the course of all of that, and she was taking a little counseling, and she went ahead and went through her house, got rid of everything, got her a condo, all new furniture. I went out to see her, finished up all of her stuff. She said, you know, nobody can take the memories from me. Yeah. I got rid of everything else. Hmm. So when I got ready to leave, she gave me this hug, and she just wouldn't let go. Mm. And she said, okay, Dr. thank you for all that you've done. And I said, it's all right. Well, then like two weeks later, her youngest son committed suicide. Oh, my. Because he just couldn't live without his father. Oh, wow. And so it was the same thing. She came in with her other son, and um, she just held on to me and held on to me. Yeah. And um, when she... She left. It must have been about six months, maybe a year, that her son came in and made arrangements for her. Yeah, for her. They, you know, they kept telling me that it was an autoimmune disease, but he said, "Is there such a thing as a broken heart?" Right. Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. I bet you saw a lot of that too, right? Where um, in families you would see these clusters of loss. Um, yeah, that's something else that in that time period, my family experienced, we went experienced it once in that time period. And then another time later, um, 
oh gosh, we've done this three times. <laughs> this is really not good. So I won't get into all those stories because there's a lot of it. But, you know, yeah, we've had three different occasions where we've lost between two and four people in like a couple weeks. And it's just been like, whoa, like none of them were expected. Yeah. Or one maybe was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the death carrying that story basically would we would always say it comes in threes. Yes, right. People always say that, yeah. And I always think if you look for it, sure. <laughs> but tell yeah. me more about that. Yeah. <laughs> one thing also is that it seemed to me like the busiest time of year was after Thanksgiving, after Christmas, after Easter. Okay. And Mother's. Yeah, right. It was off after all of those. Yeah, right. And that makes a lot of sense. It really does. And I think about that too. Our clusters usually came in those times too. Um, all those times you mentioned, for sure. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Big stuff, right? It's really interesting. We've had we've had people on to talk about grief and grief counseling and everything, but this I love this blend of humor that you bring to this, right? And so the humor and the deep spirituality and the caring. I mean, I love that because that's the balance of life, Sandy. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. You're welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. I I just, you know, my story basically and how this came to be was uh, in January of 2018, I was diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm. And then, of course, in March, uh, COVID hit. Oh, boy. And my kids. They're not leaving the house. Right. Not leaving the house. I bet. So, so I sat down and started going through uh, all the things and sort of the memories and, and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. jotting them all down to where, you know, the book took on shape. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. I mean, I don't love that you had to go through it that way, of course, but I love that <clears throat> that's what you did with the time that you had, right? That downtime, that enforced time, a time that I could imagine would be very scary for most people. Like, I already have lung cancer, and here's this thing that's really affecting everyone's lungs, right, going around the world. I mean, that could be a time where a lot of people could have just gotten really agoraphobic, and you got motivated in a big way. Right, I, because as I said, I'd always said, oh, one of these days I'm going to write the book. And I thought, yeah. well, if I'm going to write it, I'm going to If not now, but, when, yeah. But, yeah, but my thing was that I was in the host because we lost so many people. Mm, yeah. That my, my thing was that it would bring comfort yeah. in a way, and especially if they just realized that we were spiritual beings. Well, I think that's a wonderful message. And in fact, like I, I kind of hope your last light of the book is um, love abounds and love never ends because <laughs> I wrote that down. It's such a good, good, good piece to leave us with as as your biggest lesson from this experience. Right. It, and it was, and it was just like as I was writing the book, it was like something else was guiding me which to me was always the grace of God but yeah you know as I was writing it I thought if people just stop and think that we are children of God and God is love yeah then you have to believe 
Yeah, that right. You are that you are spiritual. Yeah, I love that. So <clears throat> now's the part where I have to always reach out to the listeners who are like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that just like you would do when you were, um, you know, being the, the cemetery counselor. And I always have to say to any listener, like, bring your critical thinking, you know, bring that to our conversation. Always have that with you. That's how we stay safe. It's super important. Um, and, and bring curiosity along with that. I think we can be critical thinkers and be curious. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's has made the world uh, where it is today. Absolutely. Listeners, once again, you are listening to Tune In on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm your host, Keela Parkinson. Our show is underwritten in part by Kiki Productions, Inc. Communications Coaching, teaching exercises to help you cycle out of fight or flight in the moment. Visit CoachKiki.com to learn more, excuse me, and subscribe to the newsletter to learn how you can help build better humans at buildbetterhumans.substack.com. There's also a whole work version now there too at Coach Kiki's Substack, or it might be Coach's Substack. (laughs) I better check that out before I say it again. So we're talking today to Sandy Doyle, who is the author of My Life at the Cemetery, It's Not As Dead As You Think, which is filled with all kinds of great humor and wit and depth and wisdom and love. These wonderful stories of the balance of life from 12 years working as a cemetery counselor, which means selling plots to people, guiding them through the funeral, being support staff there, and then staying on the grounds until that whole thing is all closed up. And when I say that, I mean, literally like, you know, that hole in the ground is filled. So um, Sandy, at the end of our show here, can you give us some more anecdotes? Is there maybe one or two others that you'd like to read or just share with us that um, are about this kind of closure? <laughs> Let's get punny. <laughs> I don't know as far. I mean, there's there's tons of them. The, I the bet. That the, um, I guess I think that there was one, it was called The Precious Baby Girl. Mm. And uh, it was where the father came in and the funeral director had brought him um, because he was drunk. Oh, okay. He was, he stand up. Yeah. The, the wife basically I wanted to go ahead and to get everything. We furnished at our cemetery. We always sent a child under 18. We did three. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, and we would take care of the uh, memorial. Wow. So, um, I, I, we, her and I made the arrangements because he passed out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked her um, if she needed help because she was just so ashen looking sure and she <clears throat> said no and i said okay you can come back with him and, and do the memorial mm-hmm. and she said i won't be allowed oh uh-huh she said i won't be allowed yeah. to come back which is a really big red flag for you yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah she said no and i said <clears throat> What do you want me? What name do you want to give this baby? Yeah. He said, Precious baby girl. Aww. And I wondered, you know, they left 
the next day the funeral director and I were the one to witness the burial. Yeah. And I often wondered, was it a blessing that this child didn't live? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was just heart wrenching watching that and knowing that. Uh, yeah. That was what I could do. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. That's really hard. I, <clears throat> that's one of those stories that you really want to have a, a, a different ending, like, and I got her resources and she got away. Right. Um, and that's just not always how it works out, unfortunately, but also we know that stories carry on and it's not the end end. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and you wonder how many other women are, were out there that are in the same boat. Sure. And, yeah. And, and it has to be up to them. It can't be anybody else. Exactly. Yeah. And and I do believe that life with her, she was a beautiful lady. Mm -hmm. But somehow, some way, she didn't feel that she was good enough, that Mm -hmm. she was worthy enough to have better. Right. It's probably the biggest thing for women. Yes. Yes, right. And yes. Right. And yeah, and that there's so many factors to it too. But, you know, if we do feel like I will find a way, then we will find a way. And um, yeah, I think that the message for that is that if you're hearing this and you're resonating with the woman in the story, um, don't give up on finding your way, right? Find a little way every day and see what you can add to it, perhaps, I guess. Yeah, there's a really great book by that uh, on that topic too called Helping Her Get Free, which is written for people who love someone who's in some sort of kind of entrapped situation like that. Um, But also I think it's great for people who are in those situations to also read and get like an objective perspective because that can be very empowering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So Sandy, we have about... 10 or 11 minutes left here. So is there anything else we haven't heard from you that you would love for people to hear? Um, in the course of the, doing this and being sequestered at home, <laughs> yeah. my, uh, I took a class with Mary Morrissey, okay, on uh, dream building. Okay. And I have to say, I just kept seeing the book. Yeah. Just kept seeing the book. And I, I kept thinking when I was writing it, well, it's not, because it's a series of little events that happen, little stories. Yeah. You can pick it up and you can read one or two, and then tomorrow you can read another one or two, or you can put it down and, you know, three or four days later, and, and the stories still stay with you. Yes. And so that is the thing. I'm hoping that people go back to the book. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they share their book for um, others to realize about being a spiritual being. But, but I hope that they realize that we are children of God. And so that makes us a higher, you want to say a higher plane. There's nothing that we can't do. Yeah. Now, who would have thought a 77-year-old lady 
was going to be able to do her book, you know? <laughs> so, um, wait, with love, with lung cancer, by the way, because that's when you really started putting it together. So, right. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm just, uh, whether it had, it had to do with, um, uh, my journey, I started affirmations. I started, uh, nice. making sure that I would write every day. I, I said my options creed every day. I prayed every day, you know, I took all kinds of herbs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And your medicine, right? Like all the things, right? Yeah, yeah. All of the things, you <clears throat> yeah. Know, and the visualization. The, yeah. The Super the important. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, just like you were saying in the story about the woman, like you did the your own inner work also, outer resources, right? And seeing the help, but also knowing that, that you're doing your own inner work. And, um, you know, I want to say too, someone brought to my attention recently, like, Sometimes we'll say of someone in a situation like that, well, she gave up on life if they don't do that, right? And um, and then someone else, had, someone who had said to me recently um, that that's kind of a little bit of a, um, it's condescending in some way, I think is how they worded it, because it was like, you know, well, how do you know that wasn't good enough and they were just like I'm ready to be done and maybe like you know move on to the next realm and then right and so like who are we to say they gave up on life maybe they just accepted all right that's cool you know like I don't know so but I love Sandy love that you did this because then I get to meet you so thank you for sticking around on the planet thank you we've got a great show so it's so fun it's so fun and people like you make it really fun you especially I love having on and listeners uh you did hear Sandy say she said her her optimist creed every day also as part of her work and we're going to hear all the goodies about that about what the heck is the optimist club and um who's in it what do you guys do so that will be really fun to hear about when she comes back and um, sometime in the next several weeks she's going to come back and we're going to be able to connect again and hear this story and and share that with you also sandy this has been so fun i want to remind people they can go to amazon.com they can go to the actual big box bookstores and i'm sure little ones too and find this wonderful book my life at the cemetery it's not as dead as you think by sandy doyle and they can also find you a few places online do you want to tell them or do you want me to tell them where you are Well, you can find me at uh, author Sandy Doyle, or you can find me. There's a I will send the link for the YouTube. Yes, the, great. For Covenant House. For Covenant House, right, yeah. There's going to be a little YouTube clip she's going to share with us. So if you are hearing the show on WVLP and you want access to that, you can go to our fan page, facebook.com slash radio. You can connect with us there. Maybe Sandy will also connect with us there and share the video there directly. <clears throat> she's going to send it to me and my team as well, and then we are going to also pop that into the podcast. So if you're listening to it then, you can just go ahead and click the link, and you can see the video. And you can connect with Sandy on Facebook at Sandy Doyle Author. I love it. I love to hear from people. Yes, I bet. I would love to hear people's experiences also. Yeah, of reading this book. I'm sure that I'm not the the only one that has had these kind of experiences. I would love to hear. What a fun ongoing conversation. I'm going to absolutely endorse that. Like if you've experienced some of these things, add to the conversation, like connect with Sandy on Facebook and share some of these stories and maybe you'll be in her her next book. 
while the, the next uh, go around. So, no, it's been about, about five, one Christmas, I sat down and I wrote uh, 15 kids' stories. Oh, fun. Yes. Oh, my. That's and adorable. So what a fun Christmas I, present. I'm going to try to get those together in, in a series of uh, my grandma's uh, babies are the best. Oh, I love it. They wanted for boys and one for girls. So fun for grandmothers. Oh, I love that. My mom is a Nana, and she would love to have that at her house for for Nana. (laughs) She can pick up a story and read it whether it's a little girl or a little boy. Yeah. I tried to put in. I tried to put in where it's a a a lesson. Yeah, lessons. A little lesson. Nice. Brave soul. Yeah. Yeah. It is something that we don't talk about. Right. Well, thank you for helping us to talk about it. I've had so much fun talking with you about this today. And I just, again, want to tell listeners all the places you can come and find us. So check us out. We're going to have Sandy back. It was so much fun today. And don't forget what she's reminded us that love abounds and love never ends. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you so much. We'll see you later, meditators.